Do, do you know what day it is? We're just coming right back at you this week. Do, do you know what day it is? Because it's not Saturday. It's not January 15th. Just like I said last week, it's not Saturday. It's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a day. It's not a demarcation of time. N- next day is about a responsibility to embrace. See, every day is supposed to be the next day. Tomorrow is supposed to be the next day. The day after that is supposed to be the next day. This time next year should be the next day. Do you know what day it is? Acts 27. When the time came, we set sail for Italy, and Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment, Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, you say that three times, you can speak in tongues, was also with us. He left on a ship whose port was, I can't even, I'm going to try it this week, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia, Adramidium, that's there, there it goes, Adramidium. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. Here it comes, verse 3, the next day. The next day. When we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let us go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Come on, the next day. Then in verse 4, putting out to sea from there. That, that phrase, the next day, leapt out at me several months ago as I was reading in the book of Acts. Can I just tell you, that's one of the reasons. I hope you've already picked out a Bible reading plan. If you haven't, pick one and just pick up from where it is. You don't have to make up. You don't have to start back in January. Just pick up with tomorrow and just start reading. Going back to the worship set, I was thinking about that. First, I love songs that have a key change. You with me? So, songs that have a key change where all of a sudden the key just goes up. It creates a sense of excitement and anticipation in us. Reading the Bible should be like that for you. There's a verse that will leap out at you like a key change in a song that begins to create excitement and anticipation that God is speaking to you. You need to have a Bible reading plan for key change moments in your life. When I came across this verse, there was a key change moment for me, and I realized there's a, there's a sermon in here. There's a lifestyle in this one phrase called next day living. Next day living is a responsibility to embrace. It is a way of life that says, I am willing to have a little less so someone else can have just enough. Next day living is saying, I'm willing to have a little less so someone else can have just enough. The Sidonians did not sell all that they had to give to Paul. They were just willing to have a little less. And it wasn't so Paul could have this extravagant lifestyle. It wasn't so he could go on a cruise ship from Sidon to Rome. It was so he could have just enough to do the work that God had called him to do. Are you willing to have a little bit less? Are you willing to live a life that says, I'm willing to have a little bit less so someone else can have just enough? I hope that you would be so bold to learn that phrase and it would begin to be a statement that you speak over your life. I pray that not only is it the culture of this church, it's going to become more the culture of this church. I want it to be the culture of your home. Are you raising your children to have a little bit less so someone else can have just enough? I introduced you last week to my friend Marcel, and I'm not going to explain who he is and how we know him. You can 
watch and listen to the service from last week, but we are trying to build a house for Marcellin. This is him here. The next slide is going to show his home that was destroyed by an earthquake back in August. That's his family's home, and this is where they are today. The next slide is going to show, come on, the construction that's already started because of the generosity of you right here in this church. Come on. There's a legacy offering that we're doing in January, moving forward, you heard uh, in the, the, the free kind, it used to be an offering we did in December, now we're moving it into January to overlay it with our push for faith promise and missions giving, and then also leading up to our anniversary service, we want to raise $5,000 by the end of this month to put with the 10000 that we've already committed to be able to build this home for Marcellin and his family so they do not have to live on the street anymore. Are you willing to have a little bit less? So Marcellin and his family can have just enough. We're not building them an oceanfront mansion. You with me? And we're not asking you to sell everything that you have to build him an oceanfront mansion. What we're saying is, will you have a little less so they can have just enough? It's a slide that's going to pop up that we talked about last week. These are all the missionaries that we support and missions organizations that we support on a monthly basis. Are you willing to have a little bit less so that they can have just enough? These cards that you got in the mail, if you didn't get one in the mail, they're at the entrances of the building in both places, in both lobbies. You need to pick one of these up. Last week, we talked to you about making a monthly missions commitment. That's something that you budget. A little later in the service, I'm going to talk to you about an annual faith promise and why that's different and how we do that. Are you willing to have a little bit less? So the missionaries around the world that we support can have just enough. We're beginning to rebuild our waiting list. We took all of the groups off of our waiting list a couple of years ago because there was such an outpouring of generosity. Praise God. I'm believing that again for the beginning of 2022. It's good. Come on. These are just a few. The Hiltzes that sent us email. They have a friend that's on the mission field. They're on our waiting list. Paul Johansson, who might be watching online right now, founder of New York School of Urban Ministry, former president of Elam Bible College. He and his wife and their family, they lived much of their life in Africa as missionaries before coming back home to the States. He's put us in touch with a family that they're based in Singapore and do ministry all throughout Asia. He's going to be in town in April. I'm going to meet this man. When Paul Johansson says you need to meet this man, guess you meet that person. They're going on our waiting list. Vanessa and I have a friend that works for a Bible translation organization. Did you know that the Bible is still not translated into all the known languages of the earth? What in the world? Why is that? I'll tell you why it is. Because not enough people believe in next day living. Not enough people believe. They're on our waiting list. Would you be willing to have a little bit less so someone else can have just enough? And part of that just enough means that somebody in the world who a Bible does not exist for the language they speak, let's make sure that we get one into their hands. That's on the waiting list. Come on, by the first quarter of this year, by the end of the first quarter, let's have to start a new waiting list because everything that's on there now is going to come off. We want to increase the support to the groups on CNU, Crew, and InterVarsity. We want to take that number higher. So you can be on our list already of support, but you're on a waiting list in a sense because we want to give you more than what we're giving you now. Are you willing to have a little bit less so that they can have just 
enough. Next day living. Last week we talked about how next day living creates a next day legacy. Next day living creates a next day legacy. You're going to see on the slide that there's next day, a next day sacrifice, a next day legacy, and a next day supply. I'm going to get to next day supply in just a minute. This idea of a next day living, it starts with a sacrifice. You understand, right, from the text, is that Paul comes ashore. They, were, they, they brought an offering. There was a sacrifice that they made to provide for his needs. When you step into that next day sacrifice, you posture and position yourself for a, a next day legacy. I shared with you last week that it wasn't their trip to make, but it was their ministry to make possible. They weren't supposed to go to Rome with Paul. They weren't supposed to get on that ship with him. It was not their journey to make, but it was their ministry to make possible. And because they brought that gift, because those Sidonian friends were willing to have a little bit less so Paul could have just enough, then everything that he did from that point forward became part of their legacy too, not just Paul's. The books of the Bible that he wrote while he was imprisoned in Rome is part of their legacy Every person he shared the gospel with, from Sidon to Rome, part of their legacy. The miracles that he performed on the island of Malta, part of his legacy. Part of his legacy. You will probably never go to Haiti to visit Marcellin and to see his home, but it's still your house to build. It's still your house to build. You, you might not ever go to Turkey and visit with Claudia Johnson a missionary we support, but it's your ministry to make possible. You, you might not ever travel to Vietnam and visit with the missionary that we got to know through Catalyst Church, who's a partner church here that meets in here on Sunday morning that we now support on a monthly basis. You might not ever make that trip, but you know what? Her ministry is yours to make possible. Every group that we support, every ministry, every missionary that we send support to, you might not ever go there, you might not ever be active in what they're doing, but it doesn't mean that it can't be your ministry to make possible, and when it's the ministry that you make possible, it becomes part of your legacy. Come on. What kind of legacy are you going to bring to heaven with you? I mentioned Claudia Johnson friend of ours in Turkey, and we've been supporting them ever since we came. As soon as we began to do monthly support, as this church began to grow and the budget began to grow, and we had resources and funds to be able to send to missionaries, Lewis and Claudia Johnson, one of the first missionaries, we've been supporting them ever since. Her husband, Lewis, went on to be with the Lord several years ago. So I was reading through these notes, I, I remember the story that a friend of mine, Roger Simmons, told who was Lewis and Claudia's neighbor many years ago in Charles City County, or as Lewis would say, Charles City County. And you know why Roger invited Lewis to church? I kid you not, this is the story that Roger tells. I invited Lewis to church because I was tired of replacing my mailbox because of how often Lewis would come home drunk and drive over it. Yeah. He said, I got to get this guy in church because I'm tired of replacing this mailbox and he might hurt somebody. That was literally his motivation. So he goes over, knocks on the door and invites them to church. They didn't want to go. Lewis tells the story that he realized something needed to happen when his wife, Claudia, said to him, I want you to take the pile that's in the garage to the dump. True story. And as he was throwing those boxes 
into the bin at the dump. He threw a box, and as it landed, the top came off, and things flew out, and he realized it was all of the photos from their wedding. And Lewis said it was in that moment that God got a hold of my heart, and I knew that I had to become a different man. He went to church with Roger and Linda Simmons, he and Claudia, made a vow of devotion to Christ, and from that moment forward, he was a hopeless alcoholic, never took another drink for the rest of his life. Ended up going on staff at Mechanicsville Christian Center, the church that we came from. We ended up working there together. I remember being in the service at Mechanicsville Christian Center where he and Claudia stood down at the front of that sanctuary and the church came and prayed over them as they began to express a call to go to Eastern Europe as missionaries. You know who was in that service? Roger Simmons. Stop it. Can you imagine what he felt in that moment? What he had seen, what he had known all these years later, here is this man who used to drive home drunk and run over his mailbox. The man who on a dump run realized he was throwing away his wedding album because his wife had given up on their marriage and their family. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what Roger felt in his heart? I'll tell you what he felt. Even if these words had not come to his mind, this is part of my legacy. I'm telling you that story because you should feel that way every time you give to missions. There should be something in your heart that feels like I am a part of this work that's being done. Can you imagine what it was like for Roger and Linda to be in that circle, laying hands as we began to pray and prophesy over Lewis and Claudia, this feeling that was inside of them that must have been indescribable. We, we should feel that way every time. We give to these missionaries that are working around the world. It's part of our legacy. And I hope it becomes part of your legacy. When you make a next day sacrifice, you create a next day legacy. That can lead to a next day supply. A next day supply. Are you willing to have a little less so someone else can have just enough? Will, will you live like Jesus in this way? I like this simple illustration because this life of sacrifice that you and I are called to live as devoted followers of Christ in many ways, but especially with our finances, it creates a next day legacy. And when that becomes a lifestyle for us, there is a next day supply that God says that can come to us. And you know why he gives us that? Not to make our lives more comfortable. Not, 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 not as some kind of reward that we're supposed to put on a shelf that is an accolade for doing a good job. No, no, no. It's because he wants to resource the cycle. He wants to resource the cycle. Philippians 4, 15 to 20. Philippians 4, 15 to 20. Love these words. It says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help. You know when Paul wrote this letter to the church of Philippi? Yeah, you better believe it. While he was in prison in Rome. Come on, it's one of the prison epistles. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent 
help more than once. See, what is he saying to the church of Philippi? You're next day living kind of people. You, you were willing to have a little bit less so that I could have just enough. And I love how in the text here, Paul's not saying you just did it once. It, it wasn't an outlier for them. It was the culture of that church. It was who they were as devoted followers of Christ. You see that Paul's saying here, this was a pattern for them. It was a pattern. I don't say this because I want a gift from you, right? Paul's saying, I just, I don't want them to think that I'm asking for more. Listen to what he says. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I want you to know the experience of God resourcing this cycle in you, a reward not for your ease of living, but a reward so you can continue in the practice that you've already begun. This is at the moment I have all I need and more. Are you with me? This is next day living. He's not saying I have an extravagant life. I have more than you because you have less than me. He's saying, no, no, no. If you're willing to have a little bit less, he can have just enough. I have all that I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Aphrodite. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me, listen to what he said, will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. I love these last verses because Paul is reminding us that these stories of supply, these stories of reward, if we can call them that, it is not to enable us to have comfortable lives. He gives us these stories so that God can be glorified. So the source of the supply can be known to the world. This cycle that we're, we're talking about is not for ease of living. I'm going to keep saying that because there's a whole theological doctrinal stream out there that's going to tell you that. Don't get swept away into that. But we're not going to let that doctrinal theme rob us of this beautiful message that's in the Bible, that there is a supply that he wants to give us to resource the cycle so that we can keep in this practice of next day living, keep living sacrificial lives, so others can have just enough to build our legacy so we can be a part of the gospel going around the world even if we don't travel there. This is supposed to be the normative experience for us as devoted followers of Christ. It's not supposed to be a one-off. It's not supposed to be an exception. This is supposed to define who we are, people. I'm going to tell you two stories tonight for us that's personal. Many of you know that when we moved here in 2007, it was just two years later that we realized that a townhome that we had bought, that we had put our whole life savings into to be able to make this move here, we found out that it was built with toxic Chinese drywall and we had to move out of that house immediately in 2009. We, we lived on the verge of bankruptcy as a family for just over five years, facing financial ruin from this just catastrophe that our lives were intertwined with. 
And I remember, you've heard me tell this story before, when it was in 2012. We're, just, we're right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it. And we, that's when the church was still meeting over there at 28 Harpersville Road. And uh, we were in our annual faith promise push, just like we're doing this month. And I remember holding that card in my, in my hand, and, 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 and I had the, the number that I had put on this faith promise card for the annual faith promise. Again, I'm going to explain that in just a moment. And I had written $1,000 on there. That might have been a million dollars to me. You with me? We had nothing. And I remember God whispering to my heart, Fred, is that all that you have faith for? And I was like, no, because I don't even have faith for this, Lord. I got nothing. I thought I was going to get some type of trophy maybe just for putting that down. I kid you not. I said, God, how much... Do you have faith for me for, Lord? I, distinctly as, as, as if, I've never heard his voice audibly, but I feel his voice. As distinctly as I would hear you speak to me, I felt him say to me, $5,000. So I said, okay, like with a little bit of a sarcasm and a chip on my shoulder, I just penciled out and put 5000 in there. I remember all the, telling Vanessa later, she was like, what, how much did you put on there? The process had just begun for us to try to short sell our townhouse to get out from, from under that because we still owned it. The mortgage had been postponed. It was a national crisis, and if you're familiar with the story, but that was about ready to expire. If we, if we didn't short sell that home, the, our mortgage was about ready to resume. We, that's when we were going to have to step into, in, into bankruptcy. It was going to be financial ruin for us. And everybody was saying there's no way that these homes are going to be short sold because that's back when, not to get too technical, but all these, these mortgage-backed securities were in place. So it used to be, right, there was one company that owned your mortgage, but now this, and they probably still do it, but you, back then, you're, and, and still today, the mortgages are all mixed in together with a whole bunch of other mortgages. So the idea of being able to pull one mortgage out of this mortgage-backed security that other people invested in to be able to short sell it, people were like, this is an impossibility. It's never, it's never going to happen. That's what the bank said. That's everybody we talked to said these homes will never be short short sold because of the complexity of these investment vehicles. Come on, that's when God does his best work. We got a call not too long after that, that they had found a way and the home was going to be short sold and investors were beginning to come forward. A, a remediation protocol had been established by the federal government for how these homes could be fixed. So it became a money-making opportunity for people, which also became an opportunity for us to get out from under this thing. First sign of hope in that journey with us, with our home and our situation. We went to the closing. We went to the closing for the short sale of that home. It was just a couple of months after we had made this faith promise. And at the end of that closing, we did not know this was going to happen. They slid a check across the table to us. We were like, what in the world is that for? How is it that this home that's worth a few hundred thousand dollars is now selling for about $70,000 and the debt being forgiven? That's another story in of itself because usually you have to pay taxes on that, but there was a moratorium even on that because that would have put us under. They slid a check across the table to me. You know how much that check was for? It was for $4,000. 
$4,000. So this is a part of some bill that had just passed for people in situations like you to help you get started again. Mm -hmm. We were walking out to the car and in my heart, I remember saying to God, here's the faith promise right here. And this is what I said. I said, God, I thought you said it was going to be for $5,000. Yeah. No, I know. It's, I am lucky to be alive. I kid you not, this is what God said. He said, no, 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 no. You said 1000 I'm just making up the difference. The rest is still on you. Kid you not. Kid you not. Yeah. Yeah. We could not give that $4,000 to Faith Promise fast enough. Are you tracking with me? We could not. We knew that money did not belong to us. It didn't, it, that was not our money. Up until that point in our lives, it was one of the biggest checks that we had written to missions in our lives. In the midst of financial, I'm not telling you to be foolish. That's not what the sermon is about. I hope you don't take it that way. Right? We had a word from God about what we were supposed to do. Does that make sense? We're just talking about walking in obedience. Walking in obedience. Just this past summer, I felt God speaking to me about taking a step of faith with my salary here and, 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 and setting aside a, a portion of it, a, a, a portion that we would feel. It was going to impact our family, so I remember praying and thinking about it for several weeks before I started talking to Vanessa about it. As we began to talk about it and we began to share, and we, we, we just knew that we knew that we knew this was something that God was asking us to do. So we agreed that, that the next time the elders met this past fall, we were going to share with them. I'm going to talk more about this in the, in the business meeting, but I just want to share this, this one part. We, we knew this was something that we were supposed to do, step of faith that he was asking us to take. So we submitted that to the to, to, to the elders, and, and uh, they, they were reluctant, right, because they love us, because they care about us, but they knew that, right, they've, they've been in places like this before. When God's asking something of you, there's only ultimately one answer. Are you with me? There's only ultimately one answer. I kid you not, the night that Vanessa and I talked about this number that we were going to defer and set aside, the next day, I wasn't even planning on writing this sermon. I didn't even come across this first. Like, God's setting me up here. Come on. The next day, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating for effect. The next day that Vanessa and I, late one night, looked at each other and said, we're going to take this step. When we meet with the elders, this is what we're going to tell them. The very next day, that afternoon, a check came in the mail from our health insurance company from two years ago. You know how much that check was for? Almost to the penny, the exact amount that God had told us to set aside. The, the several thousand dollars was the first figure and then God just threw in like $173.22 just for effect. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what I felt when I opened up that check? And to see how exact it was to the number he had asked us to set aside. Now, now, were we going to get that check anyways? Yes, we were. Of course we were. All of that was already in motion. 
But this is part of what walking in obedience with the Lord is that we would not have had that experience of hearing from him and obeying him and then be able to take that story to the elders that we were able to tell them. God is alive, people. He wants to speak to us. Our kids didn't even know that story until they just heard it tonight. I remember taking that check down to Vanessa and saying, we just experienced a biblical miracle right here in this envelope. Come on. I have never been so excited about getting paid less in my entire life. Somebody said to me the other day, Fred, you realize you gave that salary up. God gave it back to you tax-free. I was like, that's genius. Genius. Oh. I'm not telling you these stories because I'm asking you to do crazy, foolish things. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just asking you to have crazy, foolish faith. That God wants to talk to you. I'm not even saying have crazy, foolish faith in your actions. I'm saying have crazy, foolish faith that your Father in heaven wants to talk to you about your life, about your situation, about your circumstance. And if next day living is not part of who you are, if you don't have margins in your finances just so you can be like a Sidonian in the moment that there's an opportunity to have a little bit less so someone else can have just enough, I'm telling you, God wants to talk to you about that. He wants to restructure your finances. He wants to do it. So you can be a part of stories. So you can be a, have a, a legacy that's attached to your name that's beyond the impact you have just yourself. But these missionaries that, you, that you're going to support, these missions organizations that you're going to get behind, but then also so you can have supply stories. God wants you to have supply stories like I'm telling you tonight. That's just two of many in our life and in our journey. Just two of many. People in this church, you get to know each other in life groups. They have stories just like ours. Because God loves to resource the cycle. He loves to resource the cycle. Because it gives him glory. Because it points people to the Father. And the gospel that changes our lives. Do you know what day it is? Do you know? You invite the worship team to come back up. Last week, we talked to you about this card, the monthly commitment portion. That's the portion of the card that we're saying, look into your budget, plan for a number, know where that's coming from, and being able to commit to it. You don't put your name on this. This isn't, this, this, we're, we're, no one's calling you. We just do this because we want to know how much to expect. We, we want to know how much. We, when these cards start rolling in, we want to start pulling people off the waiting list. You with me? So that first one is a monthly commitment you're going to do for 12 months, for 12 months. This is a budget number, not a faith number. Does that make sense, the difference between the two? The second one, we call this a, an annual faith promise. This is where, like the story that I was saying to you, you pray and you ask God to give you a number. You have no idea where that number is going to come from. It's not something that you're budgeting. It's just a number. If you're married, do it together. A number that God is going to give to you. Again, no one's going to call you. And if at the end of the year that money didn't show up for you, that's okay. That's between you and the Lord. 
But it's asking him to give you a number, and then you believe by faith that somehow he's going to provide it, and then you make a promise that, God, if this unexpected money comes in, then you're going to know what it's for. It might come in in chunks. I, all throughout the history of this church, the stories. I remember one year there was a person, soon after they make the faith promise, their boss met with them and said, I was supposed to give you this raise months ago, and we're going to give you your check, all that we owed you, retroactive. And it was almost to the penny the faith promise that they had made. I can't tell you how many times in our lives we've gotten letters from our mortgage escrow company, a mortgage company that said we've escrowed too much money, and a check comes at the end of the year, and it's what we needed for our faith promise. God wants to resource the cycle. So you pray. And the number that God gives to you, you might look at it with your husband, your wife, you might say, that number is impossible. I would say, then that's a good start. Then that's a good start. Stand with me. Father, help us to live as a people who are willing to have a little bit less so that someone else can have just enough. May it be that the legacy of this church is that we're a next day kind of church filled with next day kind of people who are willing to make a next day sacrifice, creating a next day legacy, producing a next day supply so we can do it all over again. Not for our namesake, not for our accolades, not for our accommodation, but for your glory. For your glory, just like it said in Philippians 4, for your glory, for your glory. For the Claudia Johnsons, Father, we lift her up to you that even after her husband passed several years ago, no one would have expected her to stay, but she said, I'm gonna keep doing this work that you called us to do. Jesus. We lift up these missionaries to you tonight. The Pauls of the world. Here we, here we are, God. We know we're the Sidonians, but there, there's some, there might be some Pauls in this room tonight. Come on, Lord. There might be some Pauls that are at home watching right now. They're not just supposed to be people that make ministry possible through the gift. It might be that you're going to be calling them to take the trip, to move to a faraway place, to live in another land, to one day be the name on the list that goes on that screen somewhere around the world. Jesus. Jesus. Whether it's the next day for us in our giving or the next day for us in our going, help us to have a, a reckless, relentless, foolish, crazy faith, God, that you know us, that you want to speak to us, that you want to start a conversation with us that lasts for all eternity to know you, to be known by you. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said amen. Let's worship together.